the gospel of Mark, and then we went through Acts, and we've just kept going. So we're slowly making our way through the New Testament. Um, and so this is the second letter to the, the church at Thessalonica, and it addresses a lot of the same issues as the first. By way of reminder, this church was established in under four weeks, uh, and then Paul had to go. Heavy persecution, knew it was coming. They've been faithful, uh, but he addresses certain issues uh, of the culture that they have to deal with and also um, reminds them to keep working. Don't be lazy. You know, don't think the day of the Lord's coming, so you just got can kind of cruise. Uh, but he addresses that. Last week, we looked at chapter 1, where Paul was commending them as a church for enduring suffering and persecution really well. Not only were they enduring it all, they were doing so in faith and love and with hope. Uh, and so that was, he was saying that that like made them an example of what like the church should look like. That they like, not just like were hunkered down and kind of making it through. They were like literally like, they were examples to everyone else around them because they were, it did not take their joy. They were able to continue to trust God in faith. They were continue to love one another, um, which love God, love one another. And then uh, they are able to have the hope of eventually through all of this, God's going to come through in the end. We're gonna, it's not going to be like this forever. And so we're going to look a little bit of, at that uh, coming up today in chapter 2. Um, this is a, another recurring theme. Uh, it's the second coming of Christ. Uh, it it kind of outlines some pretty wild, gnarly stuff. Uh, this, is, this text that we're dealing with today is one of the most difficult texts to work with in the whole New Testament. So you're like, oh, great. I was like, I've been thinking about it all week because I've been like, and studying, and I'm like, I felt like this morning I got up extra early just to like let it all sink in. I was like, finally felt like, oh, that, yes. Anyway, so uh, I'm, anyway. So that's where we're at. Recurring theme, second coming of Christ. There had been application beforehand. There had been some application taken from Paul's uh, letters or they'd like made their own letters. And so they were saying that Paul had said something he didn't say. Um, so Paul is addressing that. He wants to like be very clear about what he actually means. So we'll read verses 1 through 12. So if you guys will stand, let's read that together. Then we'll pray and we'll get started. Here we go. You don't have to stand. You're like, easy for you to say now. I already did. Um, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken uh, in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, uh, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he uh, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, 
because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should not believe the lie, uh, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, We pray that you would speak by your spirit to us, that our hearts would be receptive. You give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, that we would be willing to be changed and um, God, encourage us, Lord, with the fact we know you win, like you win in the end. And so God, let these words not shake us or mess us up, but like actually like encourage us as, as that's the reason Paul says this. So Lord, we thank you, God, for uh, each person here. And God, we pray you just be moving and ministering as you see fit among our body. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Okay. Verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. So, yeah, there had been this letter that had been proposed, apparently, uh, or something that... Maybe a letter from Paul that had been applied, super weird, that had said that Christ had already come. The second coming had already come, or there was beginning, I guess you could say. And the the Antichrist was already coming. You know, it was the season of this going on right now. And Paul's like, please don't be freaked out or terrified, because remember, he had just commended them on that they were acting like Christians in the midst of persecution. They were like literally living out their faith. It was evident that they had something deeper than the troubles of the world. They had something like way more like powerful going on than the sway of, uh, you know, going back and forth. Right now, it's like up and down. Everything is just like up and down, right? If you watch the news, which I've said before, I don't recommend, uh, (laughs) Just in moderation, I should say. Uh, but, like, it's so easy to go emotionally up and down on these, like, roller coasters everywhere you go. And so he's saying, I don't want you guys to be shaken in mind or troubled. Like, because there's something out there that wants to shake you and trouble you. Okay? There's a real adversary that's looking to shake and trouble you. Because as we're shaken and as we're troubled, we have a tendency to go to ourselves and to try and either self-soothe, self-medicate, something that we can do to make ourselves feel okay with where we're at. He's like, you don't need to be doing all that. Because God is still on the throne. And we're going to see he is like really on the throne. So his, that's his concern is, is that the church is shaken, they're troubled. It's going to affect their influence on the world. It's going to affect everything. So it's like fear is like such a, it is such a sneaky thing, especially when we talk about like end time stuff. You know, I, I, I got saved in like 2000 and everything was about end times then. It was like left behind series, you know, everything, like literally everything. And it's like people were getting such great joy and I'm like listening to it going, oh, whoa. I don't know if I'm into this. You know, like, I'm, obviously I'm into it. Like, Lord, what are you doing? But it was like freaking me out a little bit. Like, what is going on? And, you know, so you like think about it from that perspective. Being coming too obsessed with it and looking at everything in, with overly, uh, you're reading into everything too much. What Paul's saying is don't forget the main thing. And, and, and here's some things to kind of help you rest and, and, and chill. 
okay, with the things that are going on around you and in the world and stuff we can actually uh, look at ourselves. So verse three, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, okay? So uh, just relax in, in this. Don't let anyone deceive you by any means. Remember he said through the spirit, through the letter, through whatever, don't let yourselves be deceived. For the day will not come until, important to note, the day will come. And that's the other side. It's like where you, go, you try to turn off and go, well, I don't know if any of this is actually gonna, no, it's, it is gonna happen, right? But he says the day will not come until the falling away comes first. So there's going to be a falling away. And how, how is that culminated? This man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So this is how Paul describes this evil worker that's working along with Satan, who we're going to see has a very copycat, counterfeit, Christ-like, uh, in a demonic force uh, ministry in his own rent sense, right? And so what John calls him is the Antichrist. And so that's what we most commonly know it as. And it really does follow well because this character, the son of perdition, this man of sin, it follows kind of like the template of what Jesus did. But in a sense, it's, but it's, it's the world's way of coming about it and it's really, really gnarly and dark. So Paul gives us this picture of the end, the day of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord will not come until the falling away, until this man of sin has been revealed. Just like Jesus. Remember when Jesus was revealed? So this guy's going to come and there's going to be some sort of a grand revealing where everybody can see him. And, and it's going to be, again, an absolute counterfeit. The book of Daniel, which is very prophetic and wild, right? You read through Daniel. Uh, I remember once, uh, I knew this guy was a youth pastor and he decided, we're going to go through the book of Daniel with the youth group. And he got through the first couple of chapters. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and Daniel in the lion's den. And all of a sudden he's just stopped and said, let's do a different book. Because it's like wild, right? There's a lot in there, but it's very prophetic in nature. And, and this is what Daniel would call the, um, the abomination of desolation. Where this satanic-like figure is raised up. And you might, might be thinking, this sounds like a lot of wild stuff. It's, it's just not so far-fetched if you like look at what's going on around us. Some believed this antichrist or you know, man of sin or whatever to actually be a nation, to not be a person. That's like some people believe that. Uh, some, a lot of people have believed uh, that it was Caesar Nero or Nero Caesar that was, he was the one that was, it was all about him. And, and some believed he would even rise from the dead to become this. Um, and there's been many other since, right? Napoleon, and, you know, uh, Mussolini and Hitler. You know, we could all say, I mean, I just think if I was living in those eras, it would be like, that's gotta be the Antichrist, right? I mean, seriously, especially like, you think about like Hitler, like literally going after the Jews, you know, that kind of sounds oddly biblical. And the, and the idea is they have what we call the spirit of the Antichrist. And Jesus explains that. We'll get into it in a second, Mark 13, that there are little Antichrists, like and little beasts that have the same, in a sense, ministry and influence on the world. So when we look around us and we go, could that be, could that be? It's all part of this uh, control of the satanic demonic realm that is very real. Evil has hooks in tight and deep. 
and it is all around us. So we got to be aware, right? We got to be have our eyes opened to this, but not fearful, because we're going to see why in a second why we need to not be fearful. So he this this figure, this son of perdition, this uh, man of sin the Antichrist, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we know um, throughout the Bible, this, this guy is going to bring peace to the world. He's going to be able to, to do all these things that other people couldn't do and uh, for a time bring, bring wealth and all this, and, and then it's all going to go way sideways. After you get the allegiance, you know. So he is opposing himself, or he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. So he's going to put himself above every religious system. He's going to say, you don't call them God, you call me God. Again, this is a counterfeit. He exalts himself as the one, which Jesus exalted himself as the one, right? I'm the one. He's the one by whom we would be saved, Right? He, he is the perfect example of this is, this is the way to salvation. It's through the, the sacrifice and the blood. This will be of force right? and coercion. Again, this is nothing but a cheap counterfeit. And the world is full of like copycats because they deny the source of creativity and identity, which is God. It's amazing to say, hey, be a free thinker like me. Think like me, a free thinker. You're like, that's not free thinking. You have to be a free thinker and think exactly like this. You go like, do you know what free thinking means? Like, do you know what that is? So it's like, we're in this place where it's like, and then even creativity, it's just people copying each other. That's like the opposite of creativity. That's the opposite of authenticity. Right? God created us with made in his image to be those that can create. I think actually one of the ways the church is, we've, we've, we've missed it because it seemed kind of arbitrary. My wife, she's, she's like an expert at like making things like nice. She, she like comes into my office and she's like, this is a mess. This fluorescent lights, all this and that. So she's like, let's get you a lamp. And let's clean this and let's make the bookshelf look nice and it's gonna help. And I'm like, it, that doesn't help anything, you know? I mean, that's my initial thing. But then it, it's amazing. I just wanna be in there now, you know? It's like, oh, I like these lights. They're warm. I feel like I'm like C.S. Lewis or something, you know? There's no pipe or anything, you know? Like you're just sitting there like, hmm, okay, you know? But like, I wanna read. I wanna be like this. It's like, wow, that's amazing. There's something about, uh, beauty and creativity that's not arbitrary. It's not like it doesn't matter. So I think a lot of like the church, we've kind of like said, oh, that does stuff does not matter. That belongs to the world. We're just going to do gospel, 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 gospel. And I absolutely agree. Gospel, gospel, gospel. But gospel is, uh, it comes out in creativity, authenticity, and identity because we know who we, be, who we are, what we belong to. So we think very differently than the world. We're not constrained by like the, the ways of man and, oh, I can't say that because that would get me ostracized. Or I can't say, we don't care about that. 
because our identity is found in Christ. So then it opens up this whole new realm of creativity. And if we go back and you look at like the church fathers, like, like the history of the church has been some of the most creative and amazing people, some, the, the leading scientists, brilliant minds coming up with like, like really amazing solutions. And that's kind of gotten lost a little bit over the years. And so it, the, what the world gives us is creativity, but it really isn't. It's not the same. Can, I mean, they're still creating the image of God, and there's, there's some sort of, you could see creativity. There can be great artists that aren't Christian, sure. But there's going to be another level of depth that comes from those who are connected with the creator, right? And, and that can tell the most compelling story. Because even like the best Hollywood movies, they kind of still follow the biblical storyline, <laughs> whether they know it or not. But it's a counterfeit. It's like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. You know, it's like the wish order you get. Like, I thought I ordered that, and this is not it, you know? It's like, I thought I ordered a Vox amp, and it says it's a box amp, you know? And there's nowhere to plug in the guitar to it. I don't know what I do with this, you know? It's a, is this a sticker? You know, I don't know. You're like, well, good, it was only $5, you know? It took me seven months to get. Um, sorry, there's no, no beef with Wish, I guess. But, but the idea is it's, like a, it's a, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. It's not the same thing, you know? I love, like I said, I love playing guitars. My uncle has a 1979 um, Gibson Les Paul uh, Custom. And just, there's like, you, you hold it and you're like, this is like amazing, <laughs> There's something about it that you're like, this was so well made and so like, ah, just, it's got a weight to it and you strum it and you're like, this guitar is begging you to play it. You get like uh, the first act guitar from Toys R Us. You know, that's what we got for Canon. That thing is not begging to be played necessarily. You're like, I've never seen a half fret at the top before like that. Strings, my, every time I push the strings down, my, my fingers are bleeding. This is for a child it's a counterfeit of the real thing. The real thing has thoughtfulness and, and has like design, intelligent design. There's thinking that goes on. So as a church, we're to stand out in this way. But Satan, all he can do is counterfeit stuff. And we're going to see the counterfeit is, it gets like more and more. It just, he just is like, it's, it's like the, the picture of the guy like doing, studying, you know, don't fully copy my work. And it's like just the, you know, copying off your neighbor's work, but it's not very good, you know, like trying to make it look just like it, but not quite. It's the same idea, right? But he uses the principles because I, I think the reason Satan is using this as a counterfeit is because he himself knows that we were created to understand and long for the message of the gospel. So he gives a false gospel because he knows that would be the most effective thing that he could use because we were created for it. So the best thing you can do is give us this cheap, counterfeit, generic version of it, which is not it at all. We're created for unique works, sourced and empowered by an active relationship with Christ. Man, I, I am, I'm just like, Lord, increase our creativity, increase our desire to make beautiful things in the world, relationships, messages, 
everything, whatever you can do, to the utmost, with, with all the attention to detail, and it's not for likes on Instagram. It's for his glory. And it, as it's for his glory, it will produce the fruit it's meant to produce. I think that's, anyway, it's a little side note, but I thought it was really, uh, I thought it's really good. So this, this Antichrist will insist on absolute allegiance, and he's going to stand in the place of God. There will be no option to, to have both. There will be no coexist signs at this point, or stickers. You know, it'll be, it's, it's just him, you know. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So here's part of the problem. There was an oral portion to this that we do not have. And I think that's actually true when we look at any of the eschatological end time stuff. We don't really have it all. We have pieces, right? And I think that's, that's for a purpose to some extent. Let's let God be God and we'll just keep doing what we're doing and let's not freak out about everything, but keep on doing the simple things he absolutely told you to do, not forsaking those to jump on this little rabbit trail or that one or whatever. Keep doing what God taught you to do, which is being a light and being salt in the world you're living in to have faith and love living in active hope. Verse six, now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, what in the world is that about? So there's something restraining this character from rising up. There's something restraining it. And once that restraint is gone, it's all wide open. And he's going to be able to do everything he wants to do. It's going to be like, it's going to be on, right? So this is, there's definitely something currently restraining the work of Satan. We actually see that even now. There's, there's something restraining evil. Even when you think, man, that's all but lost, all of a sudden you'll see something come through and it gives you like hope in like, wow, whoa, God, you're, you did, you stopped that, you did this, you did whatever, Evil's not allowed to run completely rampant at this point, uh, but there will be a day where that's going to change. So what are the things that could be restraining it? It was actually thought early, uh, early on that it could be the, the governments of the world. Then you're like thinking, they're the problem. You're, you're right. But Paul even appealed to the Roman government to say, hey, you... Uh, uh, you know, hey, you, you want to throw me into prison? Why don't you uh, check to see if that's okay since I'm Roman, right? So they, they would actually use that, right, uh, to some extent. I don't necessarily think that to be the case. Some believe it's the angelic beings, uh, or spiritual, like, you know, spiritual beings, or it would be angels that oversee regions. That's a, that's a biblical principle, that they have regions and, and even lands that they have like this oversight over. If you've never heard this before, it might be tripping you out. We can have a conversation about it. But so they think that maybe it's, it's God's angelic being, forces stopping it, resisting it for the season. That could be. Because it says he in it, capitalized he, some believe it to be the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is what's making this not happen, right? I think that could totally make sense. And then another view is that it's the church because it had been raptured, right? That the church had been taken away. 
Do we for sure know? No, there's, they're plausible. I mean, especially the church, you know, you can see that. If the church is removed, if the church is, is here and then it is gone, all of a sudden, could you imagine if, if the light and the salt of the church are gone, what's left? Darkness, and so, so light's gone, so it's darkness. Salt's gone, so everything starts degrading. Everything starts spoiling. Everything starts going super sideways. It could be that. Of course, the Holy Spirit would have the same effect. It's really interesting. Again, we can't see it all perfectly clearly. I've heard lots of people say a lot of different things about it. Um, but uh, as they'll be dogmatic about one thing, they'll also say, he's alive right now, and it was like 50 years ago. And you're like, is he still alive? You know, whatever. He's going to rise up in five years. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. That doesn't happen yet. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So after uh, this restraint is removed, the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord will... Now, I love this. You guys want to be encouraged today? Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So you figure, oh, you know, the Christ and the Antichrist in a battle to the death, you know? Like, it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, fight. You know, it's like this, like, battle. Oh, it's going back and forth. How's this going to go? Jesus shows up and says a word, and it's done. He shows up, and he's in his brightness, in his, in, in his light. The light shows up. God speaks. It's over. Done. This is, like, so epic. So Paul's like, guys, don't freak out. That's whose side you're on. You're on the side of the guy who speaks and it's done. It puts this whole battle into perspective, right? Paul doesn't want them to be shaken, but assured that even through their persecution, uh, and, and even though it's present, like where they're at and what they're, they're, they're on the right team. Evil's being revealed in its fullness, and there, as, as evil is revealed, it will also be the end. So we represent something. We're like, we are the salt and the light. So we don't cower in fear, right? When we're walking in the power of the Spirit, like the church is a far greater threat to the world than the world is to the church. Maybe like, maybe we should repeat that one. You're like, when the church is like encountering God, living with him, we are a way bigger threat to the world systems, the ways of Satan, than Satan is to us. It's just a power difference, right? It's just, it's the source of power. It makes a huge difference. So like, what is everything around us trying to get us to do? It's trying to give us fear and to make us hermits. Lock away. Get away. Move away. Hunker down. You know, arm up your city. And he's like, no. No. Have faith, hope, and love, trusting in a God that will absolutely win in the end. And you'll see him win victories again and again and again and again on your behalf. But if you choose fear, if you choose cowering, you're going to get what you're looking for. That you will, since you're bowing to these things, you will get your reward. Which is that, fear and cowering. Safety's fleeting. People are willing to give up safety for like anything. Just as long as I'm safe, you're like, if, if, if you're giving away the power you have for that, then, then there's no safety. 
There's really no safety. We're free in Christ and we're not worried about what's going on around us. Christ is the head of the church. So the one who can speak and and the Antichrist is done or shows up and his light shows up and he's done is the head of the church. We're the church. Isn't that cool? So like we're not worried about the things that the world is worried about, right? No power of man or 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 demonic force could thwart the plans of God. They crucified, listen, they crucified Jesus thinking they had him. And in doing so, they were accomplishing the will of God. Like Satan signed his own death, death warrant, you know? We can't lose the war when we're with Christ. As soon as we get isolated and we start thinking differently and thinking for ourselves and and all these different things and we forget the basic principles of walking with Christ, how that transforms us inside. It's got to be inside before it'll ever be outside. You can't act like a Christian if you're not one. It just won't work. Please don't try. (laughs) Like, I mean, not to say that you shouldn't like, that doesn't mean you should just be like completely immoral. I would just encourage you just to become a Christian, right? Change me from the inside. It's a transformative work, and it's a process, and it takes years and years and years and years to, like, really continue to grow in that. As we grow in that, we see God faithful, and as we're seeing him faithful, we just grow, grow, grow. It's so good. But to not worry, not to do the same thing the world is doing, not to buy into the rhetoric, not to believe all this junk, but to stand up different. But I, I thought that was a, I actually heard the line that the church is way more troubling to the world than the world is, should be to the church. You know, because we, we're the one. So, but, but what happens when the church is so scared of the world that they're all cowered up in fear and that this little light is like this, but it's hidden because we don't want anything coming in from the top. We don't want to have anything coming in from the sides. We've walled ourselves off from the world. So what, what do you think is going to win when that happens? Following Jesus is an absolute, it, it, is, it takes bravery, boldness, Strength, but the good news is none of it's yours. It just comes from him. But you can't do it unless you're spending time with him and saying, God, create in me something totally different. And we see time and time again throughout the Bible, life's radically transformed by the good news of the gospel. And, and in this church, I know you people. Life's transformed by the gospel. We all have stories. I'm one of them. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the work, working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So he's going to come and he's going to exalt himself and he's going to reveal himself like the Christ. What else is he going to do? He's going to have power, signs, and lying wonders. He's going to be doing miraculous things. And you go, wait a minute, can he do that? He absolutely can do that. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and he brings Aaron and Aaron throws down a staff, and what, who else was there and had a staff? Do you guys remember? Who? Yeah, they're like Pharaoh's magicians, right? So they go and they throw, they throw their, down their own. What ends up happening, though, to those snakes? Which one eats which one? Yeah, Aaron's, Aaron or Moses' is, yeah, goes and eats the other one. But there are gifts. There are supernatural, not gifts, I shouldn't say, powers. There's supernatural stuff at play. So we're going to see Satan's 
power has best tricks on display. Uh, Mark 13, uh, verses 21 through 23, we have Jesus himself telling us about this. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will, uh, will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand. So purpose it in your mind to know that just because you see something supernatural doesn't mean that it's of God. So when you, sometimes you hear stuff, I think a lot of times we think, just discredit it. It does nothing. That's nothing. I have power in this thing. I found power in this thing. You go, oh, that's just dumb. That's nothing. It might not be nothing, right? There are serious, there are demonic, there's a demonic realm that's very real. Where I grew up, there was a really um, heavy satanic uh, community. And it was like serious. Like it was, it was, there was, it's the, like one of the most church cities and has some of the most active demonic stuff going on too. My friend's dog got taken on Halloween and, and sacrificed in the cemetery. It's like that kind of stuff, you know? There's this park that, that we all know of, and you go there, and you just don't go there at night. Bad things happen. Uh, and there's all these schools that they would say were haunted, and all this and that. And there's some really weird stuff, like really weird stuff going on, spiritual stuff. And it, it's easy to go, ah, I don't know about any of that. No, I believe there's, there is absolutely some realness to that. And because Jesus told us that stuff's going to happen. Like there's going to be, in a sense, a power. And the church is powerless in a lot of ways. And so anything that you see, or you know, we act powerless. So a lot of times when you see some sort of power, you go, that must be it. So that's why the key is it's, we don't follow signs and wonders. Signs and wonders can take us all kinds of directions. But they can also be amazing when used by the Lord. So there's, there's, there's both going on. But Jesus said false Christs and false prophets will rise. There's multiple. There's going to be a, a onslaught. I think the closer we get, you know, to this point, it's going to just keep on going and going and going and going. So we got to recognize what's around us, the false things around us. The best way to do that is to know the real thing. Yeah, this thing's exalting itself, not like Christ. I'm not into that. What is that? There's something else going on here. And then start digging deeper. You know, a lot of the things we, we deal with today is, we, we have trigger words. Like, if you say certain words, uh, it'll... it'll trigger someone uh, because it's a, it goes against what they believe. And they might not even know why it triggers them, but it just triggers them. You should not, that's, don't say that. That's not the, that's all evil. You're like, I think the best thing we could possibly do is to actually look at the things we see in our world and dig deeper. Where is that coming from? Tim Keller is a brilliant mind. He's in his 60s. He's dying of pancreatic cancer. Brutal, right? He uh, had a church. He started a church in Manhattan, which there was like no churches in Manhattan when he started it. And he had this, it's called the Redeemer, and it's just like this beautiful ministry. And his, his thing is he's so good at understanding the question that the culture is asking and then meeting him with the same solution, which is Jesus, right? So he said a lot of times churches, we're, we're still answering the questions from like the, you know, Gen X, questions. And he says, but we're beyond that. Then there's the millennial. And what's driving the millennials crazy is now there's Gen Z. And you're like, wait, I'm not cool anymore, you know? You're like, welcome, join the club, you know? 
I'm like literally born on the year that is Gen X and millennials. So I'm like confused. I don't know. I kind of get what you're saying. I kind of think you're dumb, you know, like maybe that's the worst place to be. You're like, I don't like anything. Anyway, but the, the, it, he says the answer, the question is, used to be, is, is God real? So we use apologetics, you know? Could he be real? So look at all the apologetic stuff. I love that stuff, right? And he says, but the question that, that then was asked is, is God good even if he's real? Is he worth following? So you start, they start asking all these other questions. So you've got to be equipped to ask those questions. Now it's like a, a whole other thing, right? Everything's changed. And so we have to answer these questions in context to the gospel. But it means actually know what's going on. No quick pat answers. I mean, that really never works, right? That's like stereotypical stuff. Like, oh, you know, I'll just throw that answer at it. That'll make me sleep better at night. Real answers take a lot of work, but the gospel is real. The, the Bible is real. God is real. And so we can bring real answers and reality to the world that we're living in at deep foundational levels. I think the reason a lot of people say he's in his 60s and he understands Gen Z better than people who are in their like mid-30s is because he's been so sharpened by being around them. He would do church, and they need to have people come up, and they can ask questions. Could you imagine that in New York City? What kind of questions are you going to get? And so he'd sit there, and he would reason with them, and he would talk with them, and he would disciple them to help them. And the church grew to like 6,000 people. Then he split it up to be other churches, which I think is also really cool. But he has a, a way of speaking to it. Why? Because he addresses the culture and looks at what's really going on around them and deals with very real issues, right? So I think if we're to address the culture we're in so they wouldn't be so susceptible to lying and uh, wonders and signs and all this, is, is we've got to introduce people to the real thing and understand that just like our generation, whatever generation you grew up in, needed something kind of specific. If we don't believe this, look at the hippies. You know, you say, oh, well, Chuck wasn't a hippie. Right. He wasn't. But who were his worship leaders? Right. Who, were, who, who was the, the leaders that he had? They were able to appeal to people at a level they could understand. What, you know, love song? Are you kidding me? Where's the organ? You know, this, is, is, this can't possibly be worship. But it's reaching people at where they're at. And that takes a lot of hard work. And it takes not just throwing them out. And, and he says, you know, the world's changing. The way we see things changes. Everything, he says, but you know what? I think one of the main things, I've heard this from multiple different people. One of the main things we got to understand is because we're all human, because we're all made in the image of God, we have way more things in common with people than we don't. Because they're still people, and they still are designed and created for a living and loving relationship with God. There's my piece on that. Okay. Verse 10, it says, With all unrighteousness deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So the people that are deceived are those that have rejected the love and truth. There's a decision made beforehand. We will not be able to say innocent, right? We all have that conviction on our heart. There's a longing uh, for any other, and we have this longing for any other system that we could find to follow so we don't have to deal with the real thing. We do this in everything, right? 
Like, oh, I'm going to go on a diet and lose some weight. You know, or I'm going to go, I'm going to lose weight. I got this ab thing. I put it around my waist and it has batteries and you plug it in. And before you know it, you got a six pack. I saw the guy, I'm, you can't, I saw the guy on TV. He's just, and he's just like, oh, you're like, okay, great. Right? No, you know what you got to do? You got to get some sort of a caloric deficit. So that means you work out harder, you eat less. I do not want to hear that. That's not good news. But the tr- it's the truth, right? And so it's like understanding the disciplines of that. So when God speaks to us and he, and he convicts our hearts where you're at, you need conviction. We experience conviction, respond to the conviction because we become more and more hard-hearted. We become more and more convinced that we know better. We become more and more um, wooed by the world. Verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The result is we end up without the same choice we had before. Did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden his heart? You guys know? The answer is yes. (laughs) Pharaoh hardened his own heart and then God hardened his heart after he'd hardened it multiple times. Right? Pharaoh hardened his heart, God, you know, he, and, and eventually, what you really see is God honored their commitment, his commitment. You want to go against me? Okay. That's the idea of hell. You want to be away from me forever? Okay. You know that's like everything that's good in the world? So like you separating yourself from me is separating yourself from everything that is good in the world. It is not worth not responding to that conviction. Those who perish make their choices. They willfully decide. They know better and choose their own destruction. Of course, you don't see it as that. But that's why we got to take into consideration like what's really going on. The deceptions of the Antichrist have certainly permeated the church. It has, right? We can run the real danger. We can choose safety. and We can choose our own way over trust and obedience. As we stand, we're like witnesses to the victory in Christ. It means we're not scared. It means we don't go the way of the world. We stand because we don't, we don't fall under that stuff. Right? Guys, God wins. It's like a landslide victory. It's not even close. There's nothing better we can do than wholeheartedly join his team. Be part of it. Right? Because yeah, Jesus, even when he says that Mark, Mark 13, and he's talking about the end of the age, he says they're going mean, to, I've said this weeks before, right? Many times. They're going to bring you before courts, and they're going to you know, say all these different things about you. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll tell you what to say when you get there. I got you. You don't need to worry about any of that. I, I, Paul says, I write this to you so you're not troubled or shaken. Believe that God is in control and that he wants to use us, the church, as salt and light to, to infect the world so we can't bow to the cultural pressures of fear. Both to hide, become hermits, or to compromise and become just like everybody else. We believe this. This is the truth. And, and I, I bet you, watch, you see, as you trust God and you allow and, and you believe and you say, Lord, allow me to, to, to actively walk this thing out, live this thing out. I want to follow you and go with you everywhere. Just see, he will show up 
And the more you see them show up, the more you're going to want to see them show up. So the more we're going to be involved in that. Active ministry. The, 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 ch- the church, the job of the church. I know it kind of went a little long. Sorry, guys. That was a hefty section. But the job of the church, the pastor, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is to equip you guys, to help you guys, all of us, get to the place where we are actively involved in personal ministry. Poema, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared before you, that you should walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need that. We were created for that. Not just we need it. It is like in our DNA. But yet we struggle because there's like a whole system going on. There's like a whole thing going on in the world we live in that is like really dark and really compelling and really easy to uh, to kind of give into or to be scared of or to be like 